0: Welcome to Apparently, the podcast for absolutely average parents. I'm Ann Johnsos.
1: And I'm Tracy Weiner. Ann and I have been friends for a very long time. We met right after college. Yeah, and our first jobs as radio producers.
0: We spent our 20s as wing women for each other.
1: And it didn't work out
0: very well. But
1: then it did, and we found the right guys and stood up in each other's weddings. And then we had babies within weeks of each other. So we went from producers to reproducers. Which brings us to this podcast. We want to talk about topics that interest us and you, and provide some knowledge to other average parents.
2: We make it look
1: easy. We make it look good. We're average, not experts. So we'll tackle these topics with people who know what they're doing. Yeah. We'll get the experts. And I fully expect to embarrass myself along the way.
0: I'm pretty sure we already have.
1: So, welcome to Apparently. We make it look easy. We make it look good. When everybody sees it, it stop a look.
0: Apparently, we need to approach our kids' relationships with technology differently. Yes, <laughs> so we need. Tell me to, how. Yeah, we need to mentor our kids rather than monitor them. Um, now, we've talked about screens and social media before, and um, it's almost too much to keep up with. I like I, I get overwhelmed. Now, where do you stand now with the kids and monitoring or watching their media?
1: Well, I have a feeling I'm going to have to take some lessons today because how I'm currently doing it is probably not how our guest is going to talk about it. But uh, I, you know, it's a real problem in the house. Um, I'm checking text messages. Um, I, you know, have somebody, a son that's on his phone watching YouTube and playing on a switch at the same time. Like, dual screening i just don't get it so it can be a little bit of a battle in in the house right now but uh, for the most part like i'll check here and there but i'm not literally checking every night or anything like that because we did
0: an episode a while back where um detective Wistocki stocky said that we we own the phones we yes. own the devices and the children have to you know give them up to us right. essentially right right
1: well they it is my phone because i'm paying the bill right <laughs> so i do i actually believe that as well
0: right okay well so like most of my parenting things, I started strong, you know, and, and sort of monitored and um was on top of things and then of course I fell off. Yeah. You know, as as The only I, thing
1: that's consistent is your inconsistency. Exactly. There you go. I'm very that's the the
0: title of our next podcast. <laughs> um so I do have access to all the passwords and I um and I say that I'm allowed to check when I want to, but I was doing that. I was checking and the texts were so stupid it was you know and and then they have little uh, code words so i w- I couldn't get anything from it anyway all the emojis and everything yeah, yeah and then nonsense. like and the, like, the chain messages or what i was like yeah this is just boring and then also clark said to me clark's my husband um and he said didn't you pass notes in junior high and i was like yeah and he said did your mother read them and i was like no and he said you know you're kind of violating the privacy and so it was a little bit of a sticking point, right? And so I decided that I would back up and then not check. But if some behavior changed or if grades went down or if I noticed some need or drama, then I still have the right to go in there and, and try and find out what's going on. I mean, clearly I want to ask the kids and have an honest conversation, but like if something changed, I, I still can drop in there. And actually in, while preparing for this, Hannah just got TikTok. And I asked for I asked to follow her, mm-hmm. and I followed her, and she had some kind of dubious videos. And so I used the method that your sister actually gave me, and said, "What would Grandma say if she saw this?" And she was like, "Isn't oh. that what Rich
1: Wustaki said too?" He says of parents, preachers, and. I forget what the three requisites yeah. were but yeah. yeah if if it's not if if you wouldn't want grandma to see it then you ain't you shouldn't be posting it.
0: And as soon as I said that she went on there and started deleting. So She did
1: it herself. Yes. So
0: she like she knows okay. um and and realizes that, you know she's it's a private account but nothing's private, you know, cuz anyone can screen grab anything. So um so that that was a big moment this week while we were preparing. So um in fact um I think that we're going to have to have like a, a further conversation about that because I I don't know like I was we were in the it's car not yesterday not just
1: one yeah. conversation it's a, a long conversation or yes. many conversations maybe before you have that talk talk you should um, we should take what we're going to learn today and bring that to the kitchen table when you talk to the kids later
0: absolutely that's one so, of the, one of the things my husband always says is like even if you know the podcast isn't like you know uh, the most popular at least you're getting to be a better parent. <laughs> <laughs> so.
1: I think we're both learning a lot along the way, right? Yes. Right. Yes. So to help us talk about this, we um, are bringing in Devorah Heitner. She's the founder of Raising Digital Natives and the author of ScreenWise Helping Kids Thrive and Survive in Their Digital World. Devorah, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. So uh, you wanted to start off with
0: with the
2: basics. Okay. Right? So
1: yeah, I, I was watching a bunch of, uh, I saw your TED Talk and some other stuff. What is a media historian?
2: Oh well, I'm a historian of media, right? I studied television. I wrote my master's paper on Sesame Street. I did my doctorate on of movement in public affairs TV. Uh, yeah.
1: Okay, so you you over time you can see like all the different things that. Kids have used or how we've used it is that. Basically- yeah,
2: and there's cycles of panic about media. So people were really panicked about Sesame Street. They were worried that kids' attention spans would shrink because the segments were so short and interesting. And
1: previ- for real, yeah, that really pre- was
2: a thing. Yeah, Romper Room and some of the previous TV shows for kids had been much more, you know, kind of long and all one take and. So Sesame Street was really invigorating and exciting for kids, but some people worried that it would be bad. Now it's like the name brand, you know, and every, every early childhood show has to compare itself to Sesame Street to see if it can measure up. Yes. Well, and I remember Mr. Rogers
0: being a lot slower than Sesame Street, and then Electric Company came on, and my mind was blown. You know, it was because it was really loud and it was fast, and there were effects. So um, it's interesting. How
1: I, I, we we live to tell the story. We we were products of all those shows, and we are we are okay. so far so good. Well, that's probably going to help help your <laughs> help your cause or what what you. Um, are talking about. Let's start with the basics. One of the things that, um, you mentioned a term called digital natives, where did that come from? And I think I know what it means, but can, can you just explain it? Well, there,
2: there's a couple people who claim to have coined the term, so I don't want to take sides and say, you know, who it was not my term, but okay. The idea is that there are young people who grew up with this stuff. And even if you think about now the sort of swipe generation, and you could be thinking Tinder, but I'm thinking, you know, three year olds who just pick up a magazine and think that they can swipe the image away in a magazine because they're so used to tablets and touch screens.
0: My little one when she was two, picked up a book and tried to swipe the book. And I was like, Oh, my
2: goodness. So, yeah, it's their generation, right? Yeah. And these tools and technologies are very intuitive for even our youngest children, which is incredible. It's an incredible opportunity. But it also means that we need to think about their digital experiences in at a much younger age where otherwise, you know, we're kind of leaving them to make their own way and three year olds aren't really equipped to make their own way. Okay.
0: So on your website, you talk about mentoring versus monitoring. And uh, this is what like gives uh, Tracy some agita. Um, so is it okay to
2: spy on our kids? Is it okay for me to go, you know, check those text messages? Well, first, parents can do whatever they want, right? I mean, I'm not here to tell other parents what to do, but... I would say if you are spying, I would think about why. Make sure your kids know you're there. If you're ki- if you're covertly kind of going all NSA on your kids, it's not clear what, what you can do then if you do see something that concerns you. So ideally, if you are looking at your kids' texts or tracking their web history or anything like that, you're letting them know, or even their use time, which a lot of parents do, mm-hmm. you're letting them know you're doing it and you're having conversations with them about what you're seeing so that it's a connected experience. But you're also thinking, okay, if I'm currently reading my 11-year-old's text, what's my plan for... For the future, when I drop her off at college and I'm still paying for that phone plan for my 18 year old, Mm. do I plan to read her texts then? Right. And so, in other words, how am I using this? If I am going to read it all, which I don't think you need to do necessarily, but if you are going to do it, how is it an educational tool that you are going to step back from? You're still there. Even if you're 17 year old, maybe you're not reading your senior in high school's texts, but if she's in a situation or he's in a situation where he doesn't know how to deal with something, he could certainly bring that to you and ask for advice. But do you really want to be reading your college sophomore's text? Probably not. So I'd work backward from
1: I well, that I, later stage. I agree with that. But, like, you know, the the news says that um, kids are getting devices way earlier. Like, I think that, at, what is it, 11 now? So, I mean, the developmental uh, level of an 11-year-old is a lot different than an 18-year-old. So I guess that's when, when you talk about mo- monitoring or mentoring can it be can you do both can you like monitor and also use that as a platform to be like oh and you know hey i saw this happening on the text thread You know, do you want to talk about how to handle that or do you think that was the right thing and use it as a talking point rather than the
2: thing I worry about is that parents will get a a kind of technology that works for monitoring like an app and feel like check the box. I'm a good parent. I'm totally on top of it. And you're missing a lot of opportunities to monitor things that maybe haven't happened. Like maybe nobody has talked in a mean way about other kids on the text Thread and the group text. But that's something you should talk with your kids about. Like, what would you do if people start talking about another kid or a teacher in a nasty way? Or what would you do if you're playing a game and someone starts making incredibly rude comments or really lewd or gross comments? So you, you don't always want to be in a reactive state. And mentoring can be more proactive. You can bring things up before they've happened. You can even have some of these conversations before you get your kid a phone or before they're sort of fully involved in things like social media. Technically, kids shouldn't be on social media. Till they're 13. So even if you're letting your 11 year old text, maybe they're not on nine social apps. So there's an opportunity to mentor also by bringing your own experiences. You know, who have you unfriended or hidden in your own feed and what behaviors led you to make that decision? And that's a conversation you can have. Now, if that person is coming over for Thanksgiving, you might not want to, you know, mention that to your kids, but you could certainly uh, mention it, especially if it's like something that happened at work or a situation where maybe your child doesn't know the, the perpetrator of the poor behavior, because that's actually a good example for your your child to hear from you rather than just going out there and ha- having those kinds of interactions themselves.
1: <sighs> this is so hard. This is—it's really hard. I mean, I have the best intentions, but um, like, well, okay. So you go and tour the United States, and you hear from a lot of parents and kids. Um, so I think that one of the things that I worry about is as a parent and having two digital natives in my house, um, is uh, also about. And I think you mentioned it in one of your TED talks. Um, social skills when when they're when they're constantly on their devices and. And I feel like I do a pretty good job of it at myself, because you know you talk about modeling. But do you worry about social skills
0: when they're all looking at when their, they're
1: all staring at their devices?
2: We all should be concerned about this generation in terms of making sure that they have ways to be social. But what we see is that kids still want to be with their friends. Kids are organizing social movements. I mean, here in Chicago, you have, you know, Good Kids, Mad City. You have kids nationally and internationally working to try to slow down and and change the course that we're on with climate. We have kids working against violence. So I I believe that, I think the kids today are awesome. I don't think this is a destroyed generation at all. Do they need support for social stuff? Yes, but as a parent I'm pushing back on the 18 minute lunch in my community and saying, hey, maybe 25 minutes would be a little bit better for lunch. Maybe going down to 20 minutes of recess is a little too short. You know, we need to give kids opportunities to be social by not overscheduling them. And yes, by also allowing them to have some time together without phones, whether that's phone free Fridays at high schools, whether that's unplugging your own family for Saturday night dinner, right? Making sure you're not double screening when you're watching a movie with your kids. (laughs) So I think it is important and certainly kids have told me that they go to friends' houses and some of their friends are all up in their devices and that's a situation, especially for elementary and middle, I think parents need to support. Like By high school, you kind of hope your kids can call out their own friends and be like, dude, get off your phone, I came over. But, you know, your 10-year-old may not be able to do that if she has a play date and the friend brings their own gaming device. Like, I've had kids come over to my house with a backpack full of devices and sometimes maybe that's okay if there's a shared use but sometimes maybe it's like oh maybe you guys could do Legos instead right maybe you don't need the you know you brought that backpack just in case right in case it was really boring but (laughs) I actually like have some suggestions and it won't be boring and you can do these other things and I would rather see the kids even do for example a shared video game with two controllers or you know do some outdoor play inspired by a tv show versus um, say one kid looking at the tablet and the other kid is totally left out right I mean I think that's the situation we want to avoid or both kids retreating to each end of the couch with a phone in their hand
1: well th- I, I do believe that they are communicating with each other yeah, even when but they're like showing the device to their friends so I've had sleepovers at my house and I'll go downstairs like just to say I'm going up to my room to go to bed or whatever and all the girls are sitting on their phones next to each other so there's proximity but they're all just staring at stuff and so I feel like they're not really interacting with each other. Sometimes they'll be like, oh, look at this. It's really funny. <laughs> but for the most part, they're just sharing a space together. or That's how it feels to me. And granted, I'm not a digital native. And so I didn't grow up like that. I grew up playing and going outside until the lights came on and all that cliche stuff that you hear about. But that's, that's kind of what concerns me with, you know, in mentoring, do you say, maybe you guys should not Maybe you should take a pause and go bake cookies. Well, baking cookies is
2: great, and that's a good time to unplug. Sleepovers can be a good time to unplug because of the disinhibition that comes with the lack of sleep, kind of like adults who've been drinking. You know, there's that person that at the block party or whatever, you see them at 7 p.m. and you're happy to see them, but like at 9, you don't want to see them because they had a few drinks. Most kids are a little bit like that at a sleepover, so your kid might have pretty good judgment and wouldn't be like, let's Skype some boys or let's you know post these really obnoxious videos of ourselves or call some kids who weren't invited and show them that we're hanging out. Um, all of which, like, your kid might not do in an ordinary setting, but, like, with the disinhibition that comes from hours with peers and exhaustion that might come at midnight, 1 a.m. for, you know, a growing body, like, that are pretty disinhibited by then, they might make some poor decisions. So I think if you are gonna be the heavy and collect the phone, sleepovers might be a good time to do it, certainly before everyone actually goes to bed, because you don't want that sort of 2 a.m you know skype session happening from your basement hopefully
1: yeah we don't allow phones in the bedrooms in in my house and it is interesting that that is not the case in every household so when well, i've <laughs> as, had with I've my had, own family <laughs> right i've had this issue it's all different so when the cousins are all together auntie tracy's the mean auntie and is making everyone put their you know outside the bedroom
0: Well, and I've done it where you know kids are over and they have their phones and then it's bedtime and I make them bring their phones up but you have to get buy-in from the other parents too so I'm texting I'm like listen no phones downstairs for sleeping is that okay with you and, and by and large they're like yeah you know take the phones away because we don't want them texting other people or creating videos or doing something stupid and it's bedtime
2: Right, but it's true that in the world of tech, the thing I hear almost the most is, what do you do when other parents have different rules? And I, I mean, I wrote something for the Washington Post about this. Like, this is a very regular thing. It's like, other... and And you feel like, well... You know, I'm trying, it takes a village to raise kids, but these other people in the village all got their kids Xboxes and I didn't want to and they got their fourth grader a iPhone X and I wish they didn't, you know, so it can be very annoying to be in the village because there are kids in the village who probably do have sort of more tech and I always think if your kid says it, it might be exaggerated, but I know that I've seen it. Like I said, I mean, those backpacks come to my house. I'm like, oh, you're not kidding. Your friend really does have the latest device and it's here with him. So you can be the parent that sort of brings things up. You can also try to offer really fun things to do that like baking cookies, you know, and be willing to be messy. Art projects are messy. You know, my kid likes to make cardboard weapons um and use exacto knives. I have to get the make sure, you know, that he's trained in how to do it. But before another kid comes over, I'm like, okay, is it okay if your kid does this? Do you want me to cut his sword out for him? You know, are you do you how do you feel about this? Well, you wrote something about
0: techno shaming and yeah. I was going to come to that later, but while we're here, is there I think there is techno shaming, like you know, 100%. you know. I can we we do it among our friends. We're like, you know, so and so has the latest gadget, and so and so, you know, gets to be gets to take the gadget in the room or whatever. How should we approach it when we are? different from our social circles in terms of technology?
2: I would try to frame it more about what you love about your family's values. So one one of the things that we really try at, at our house is our kid has an older gaming system, which means he can afford his own games with his allowance at Goodwill, because the gaming systems update so fast right. that my kid, who has a Wii, and like that's pretty old, can buy Wii games for himself, which is awesome. You know, we also have a VHS. We also have a DVD player, but he can buy VHS movies he wants to see for a, a buck across the street from our house. So mm-hmm. it's It's pretty empowering. So, we talk about what are the upsides versus being totally dependent on us for expensive new things. Now, he is saving up for a fancier, newer system because he wants to be with his friends. But because we're, you know, cheapskates with a small allowance, it's going to take him a while. And I think that's really okay. And to also help, so not, so I think what you don't want to do is sort of point out the negative behavior of the other. Uh, families as much as possible. I mean, certainly like when the cousins come over, you don't want to be like my siblings, you know, you don't want to throw the your close family under the bus. But at the same time, you can say like, what are the downsides? Or if you have tried something and it's not working, like maybe you let your kids take them in the room and it didn't work out because your kids were exhausted. Talk about that downside. And as your kids get older, another thing you can do is um, outsource your authority because your authority means less and less once your kids like are in high school. So maybe it's the coach thing, your athletic you know, performance is really going to tank if you don't sleep or, you know, the choir director saying, you know, you, your voice is going to sound better if you get your rest. So any, the, whoever they care about, because for a minute, somewhere in high school, your authority diminishes a little. Mm-hmm. Um, so you want to maybe bring in those other powerful authorities outside the family.
0: It's a good idea. Well, and you, you were mentioning gaming. Um, another common complaint I, that I, you know, read about on your website was Parents saying, "Oh, my kids addicted to games. Like, how do you, how do you combat the kid who wants to play Fortnite nonstop?"
2: Sure, and I think a lot of parents throw around the term addiction, you know, a little bit too quickly. Obviously, the kid who prefers Fortnite to math homework or taking out the trash may not have an addiction. (laughs) You know, I'm more worried if. Your kid is. Well, when you say it like that, I mean, I get it, but. Right. If your kid is, you know, potentially losing sleep, not, not doing their homework, not able to walk away from it. Um, even then they may not have something that clinically qualifies as an addiction, but if it's really disrupting their life or, or your family's life or your relationship, that's when I would, you know, go talk to a therapist. I mean, therapists, and and e- again, you don't necessarily want to go to the therapist who's hawking their $10,000 I'll isolate your kid in the woods program right away. Maybe you want to just talk to a regular family therapist who says they have some experience with tech issues um, because it may be that you just need someone to sit down with you and your, the other parent and the child to, you know, Make a new plan. Maybe certain games can't be played during the week. Maybe some games are so frustrating that they do put your kid in a bad mood and that game just doesn't work. But there are a lot of things you can try um, before even going to outside help, but certainly... Get do get support if this is messing with your kid's life. If they're, you know, the extreme example would be like the kids who don't leave their room or the kids who are really, you know, cutting off relationships that were existing. For some kids, the game can be a a gateway to friendship and relationships. And so I think in that case, you want to encourage it, right? If your child's main social outlet is the game, then can you invite the friends that they game with over? Can you do something else like also make pizza with the friends who game or go outside with them in addition to playing the game, right? How can you... Kind of bridge the positive side.
1: It's so striking, like how pervasive it is that I guess it just, because I, I didn't grow up that way, it does seem very alarming. Like, oh my gosh, how could you? I, I mean, even I can't sit on my phone and sit on Facebook or something. I, I couldn't sit there all night and, and do that. But uh, th- but it seems like they could. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: Well, and you were, I, I think uh, one thing that you had mentioned earlier was the, um, the double screen,
1: right? Yes. That's- double screen. What do you think about that? Like, he's literally watching a youtube video about a game and playing a game at the same time. Well, is he getting tips from the youtube video
2: so there's some relationship or is he actually on two different mental streams completely?
1: Uh no, it it's sometimes the same, sometimes it's different.
2: He's probably overestimating how much he's getting out of both of those experiences cuz and the data does show that most of us when whether it's having 90 windows open on our laptop or anything <laughs> else that we're not actually getting as much from all that toggling and that we're probably fatiguing our brains. So that said, if if he's getting tips and other things, he may be kind of live learning, or he may be—you don't know—is your kid a famous streamer? Is that his
1: own YouTube channel? Is he streaming his <laughs> gaming to other gamers? No, he's not recording okay. himself. But okay, okay, so in that situation, if we're meant—if we're going to mentor them, like other than I—I have said I'm taking the phone away. Like I know for a fact that you cannot do two things at one time, and and that's heavy-handed. And then he just gets really honked off about it. <laughs> so what What would be an ultimate... How, how could I, like, gently nudge him to understand that maybe that isn't the best use of his... How old? 11.
2: 11? I mean, I would have the conversation in a neutral time and place, maybe not in the middle of it. I'm not saying... I mean, again, it's totally within your parental rights to take it away. Sure.
1: You can do whatever at, you want. At, we're, we're just but, like, just back talk to
2: him when he's... Maybe go for a walk with him, have, you know, have some ice cream with him, and be like, hey, I... I've noticed that you're doing this and there's some data that says that, you know, you're actually probably not playing your best game if you're also looking at YouTube. So why don't you experiment with when you're gaming, just really focus on the game and the, you know, and your character and your objective in the game. And, you know, when you want to use YouTube, I would also say YouTube, I mean, yellow light on YouTube, right? For all kids, because YouTube has some really gnarly, negative, gross things on it. So you also want to know what he's watching. If he's watching gamers, that's, relatively a good thing. There still may be some probably not for your eleven year old, but for, if you have younger kids, like there may be some new words that they'll learn from yes. listening to other gamers. Yes. Right. Um by eleven, unfortunately they do know the words pretty much. But
1: to know, you know, what and not from YouTube, that's yeah. the playground. Yeah.
2: <laughs> but from what what are the situations that would concern you with YouTube and does is your kid the sort of curious type? And again, you may have a kid who only watch watches slime video. Right. You know, but then they come to the sleepover and with nine kids around maybe they have a different like the ideas become different. So maybe that's a good time to say, let's not YouTube.
0: So yeah, that brings up my next question, which is, you know, what are the odds that they're going to take a picture or see a picture that is not appropriate? Um, And how do we approach? I mean, I've had the conversation. I've said, you know, and I I think my kids are, I don't know, who knows, but um, I don't think they would take a picture like that. But what, how do you approach that?
2: What are the odds? I mean, 100%. Kids have seen porn by like fifth grade. There's a lot of data on this from the Pew Center for Internet and American Life. We did an yeah, episode. We did an episode. episode. Yeah. yeah. So you know that it's, they are going to. I mean, hopefully you're like, oh, I hope my kid's on the, at least the later end of that spectrum. We all hope that. But the fact is, your kid will see something you wish they hadn't seen. My kid saw a police shooting at six and he was with my dad, you know, like I left him with my dad. I went to a nice school in Manhattan to speak about kids and growing up in, in the digital age. And I came back and my kid was traumatized by something he saw with my father. Thanks, Grandpa. Right, so <laughs> things happen, and you wish. And you know, people videotape things to document atrocities and to hold you know people accountable, and for all kinds of reasons. And that doesn't mean you're you want your six year old or even yourself sometimes to see it. So we have to talk to kids about violence and pornography at a younger age, and we have to come back also to. Also hate speech and the sort of subtleties of hate on YouTube now where there's, there are people out there who are, you know, have very funny channels, but there's like a little bit of white supremacy thrown in there, you know, and you gotta make sure, like, that's where I really think we need to know what our kids are watching on YouTube. You know, if your kid's totally into like rainbow bracelets or slime and how to, I also want to see them like do the things that they're learning so that we can bring that into the real life. Mm -hmm. Um, but in terms of if they say, oh, I follow this YouTuber, do a little homework on that YouTuber. Um, And again, I think we need to pick our battles. If your kid likes to watch squirrels falling off of stuff, maybe you don't think that's the best use of their time, but it's not harmful, it's not white supremacy, it's not hate, it's not violence, it's not porn, I would pick that battle and and I would skip that battle. You know, I would be like, I don't think this is also. Awesome, I don't get I don't, it
1: but whatever but whatever and there's a lot of I don't
2: get it what, but whatever on TikTok and YouTube like 99% of what your kid wants to watch is like you won't get it but right. whatever the stuff we really want to watch out for obviously is like the violence of pornography and anything hateful and those are you know for me that's like completely no go everything shuts down and we have to have a deep conversation and it's tough because our kids are watching a lot of different things and unlike broadcast TV where you know, I always ask families. I give a lot of schools school talks, and a lot of the parents. I mean, now I'm speaking sometimes to millennial parents, but a lot of them used to be Gen X parents like me. And I'd say, "Well, what shows weren't you allowed to watch?" Right? And with the millennials, that's changing. But it used to be, I'd hear a lot of like Three's Company. I wasn't allowed to watch that, and I'd, and and I often ask parents. How many of you wish that's like the most risque thing your kids could see or the most offensive <laughs> things your kids could see would be Three's Company? And we're all like I would kiss the ground and cry with joy. <laughs> and the worst thing my kids could see was Three's Company. I would be really happy. Sadly, and, your kid can see an ISIS beheading. Uh, that's the reality. Right.
0: Do, and there's no way we can track that.
1: Like, there's no... Yeah, you could go on YouTube uh, and you can't control the things that come up after it always. Like, my, my daughter was into d- do DIY videos and some of this stuff had nothing to do with DIY videos that would pull up after, you know, how it just advances to the next one. Right. You, could, you can't... So you there's gotta no have the control. settings and all that stuff. Yeah. Same
0: thing with TikTok. <sighs> yeah. All right, let's talk about TikTok. Like, um, it used to be Musical.ly. Now it's TikTok. It changed to TikTok because there were so many pedophiles on Musically. So they rebranded. What?
2: I think new ownership and maybe in a different country as well. So there's a bunch of changes, but.
0: But what? What should we tell our kids about that? I mean, um, when I was looking through Hannah's stuff, like she's doing dances and they're not, you know, they're not always appropriate moves.
2: Right. And we all practice those. I mean, I certainly grew up like practicing and singing. I mean, I'm saying a George Michael song, you know, sex is better when it's one on one in like sixth yes. grade at summer camp with my friends. Right. Um, and I'm really glad there's no video of that. Right. And I I truly think, you know, many of us like had no clue even truly like all the meaning of some of the lyrics. So, you know, naughty pop song lyrics and, you know, tweens and teens is sort of an old story. And we as adults sort of love to be shocked. Um I, I unfortunately, you know what may be developmentally appropriate to do actually with your friends in a kind of a rehearsal. That, that is around sexually coming of age but in a very safe way like singing risque lyrics is actually a pretty safe way to rehearse sexually coming of age okay. it's not the worst thing for your kid to do with their friends making a video of it does expose you to different risk and exposes you to people who might look at say your 12 year old body in a different way than you and your friends are thinking about being looked at or really can even grasp and that is unfortunately just a gross reality of like real life is that yes a pedophile could look at it or it, you could even feel differently about it and I think It's better to say that you might feel differently, like maybe when you're 18 of that video from when you were 11, you might kind of wish you hadn't made it or feel a little different about it. And so keeping it in the family might be a a great move, ideally, or thinking twice. We don't want to shame kids, though. And I think it's very important that we don't shame kids for their both their emerging sexuality and their sort of curiosity about their bodies and even wanting to be cute or wanting to be seen as attractive. Like those things are fine. You know, and, and, and we don't want to make kids feel bad about about that, you know, right? So it, it's, it's a tricky line. I think we don't want to put a scarlet letter on our children, but we do have to live in a world that where adults do sexualize children and teenagers, which is unfortunate.
1: So you, um, you said something in one of the in the TED Talk, um, you were talking about how our kids may be more tech savvy, but w- they can benefit from our wisdom. Can you flush that out a little bit? Because yeah. I liked that.
2: Well, we've all been through conflicts, we've all been left out of things. And so even though we didn't experience that on, say, Snapchat or TikTok, we still experienced it, right? There's there's there was a party we all weren't invited to. There's probably a party going on right now that the three of us are yeah. you know not invited to. And I gotta we can, go. We can <laughs> we can live with that because we're adults and we have this sort of lived experience of knowing, like, oh right, I I also had some parties I didn't invite everyone to. Um, and I can't actually be everywhere. But that's a very sort of adult Right, and you get to the point of middle age for me where it's like the joy of missing out, like the joy of staying home, the joy of not going to the party. And, you know, like my husband and I were just invited to a party the other day and we ended up going to King's Spa instead and we were like so joyful that we, because we both realized like we each were like going to please the other one and we thought we kind of had to go and then we got in the car and we were both like, I really don't feel like it. Do you really feel it? No, I don't really feel like it. But with kids, it's the opposite. You know, they look, they scroll, they see that everyone seems to be having this amazing time. Yeah, They can benefit from the conversation context of knowing that people are posting to show off, that people are posting a little bit to brag. And that if they really were having the best time, they probably wouldn't be posting because if you were really at that party meeting the person that you're going to form the band with, that you're going to like tour the country with Mm -hmm. or meeting your new best friend or, you know, high school or college, maybe the love of your life, whatever, whatever. You're probably not Snapchatting like right now because you're so in the moment. And so I think it's good for our kids to know that like, Hey, those parties may look really good on snap or on Insta, but you know what? You're doing fine. And, um, I think our context as adults also should be to help them put away their phone if they are feeling like they're missing out. So that's a good example of like adult wisdom where we we can help them even though we didn't experience it exactly the way they are. Yeah.
0: But help distract them, you know, and, yeah. and and help them step away from the thing that's causing them pain.
2: Exactly. Exactly. I mean, another kind of wisdom is just knowing when to call or talk person to person versus on text. Like if your kid is escalating into a conflict, especially like with a friend and it's getting worse and worse, that's a good time to stop texting. And as an adult, we have that experience. Like I know if my husband and I are getting a little snippy on text, I should call him. I know if that's happening with a colleague, I should call. If it's happening with a client, I should call. Because you can't get tone in a text. And it just gets worse and worse. Once things get bad in text, it's almost impossible to get them back to good via text.
0: Sure. True. In your uh, in your TEDx Naperville talk, um, you talked about empathy is the app, and there were a couple of things I wanted to bring up just because I thought it was it, we're turning turning the conversation around. But you you talked to ten and twelve year olds, and they said that they had some ideas for. Um, us, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, can you tell me about the text lock
2: app? Oh, they they were really concerned because sometimes kids will just text someone again and again and again if they can't reach them. So they made this app to prevent you from doing that. Just to say, like, dude, don't blow up my phone, essentially. So, like, I I try to text you, you don't respond. I text again,
0: I text again, like so, and then when you finally look at the phone, there are like sixty messages from me, and that makes you upset, right? It's that's annoying.
1: Me. That's me. Oh, that's you. <laughs> like but but mostly because i'm driven by like i have like an imperative thing that like hey are you and so i'll do it over and over again my kids don't respond and so it becomes a conversation i'm like okay what is the point of the phone it's that we can get in touch with each other you know you need to answer if i'm not home and i'm trying to make sure and they don't answer and they're like what oh that's what happens in my so
0: they would block you is it (laughs)
1: block me is that what that is it would be a lock to tell me to Slow my role mom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we would probably not get that
2: app for parents. I think that would be for other kids or maybe, you know, maybe you have another relative who needs it. Someone who texts and, you know, tries everyone in the family and you're all still at dinner five minutes later. Right. But I think it's important for kids to get what their friends might be doing, that their friends aren't just blowing them off. And, oh, I moved to Alaska and I hate you. It's more likely that your friend is eating dinner or they're not allowed to use their phone right now or they're doing homework. And just to remember, or they didn't charge it because they're 11, they forgot. Right. So just chill. And it's very hard to do that because kids get accustomed to that immediate response and when they don't get it, they're like, what's wrong? Oh my God, they don't like me anymore. yeah. I said something wrong.
0: What about Sparkle Chat?
2: That was one (laughs) that kids invented to just Test if you're being nice. Yeah. And so if you know, if if you shouldn't send this, it sends you a little reminder like, Hey, do you think maybe you shouldn't send this? And I think we all shouldn't have that before we post a comment on social media. I mean, I just even in my local, you know, community Facebook, there have been a few dust ups where like I'll think about commenting and then I'll think the better of it. And I'm like, mm, no,
1: just yep. no. Yeah, move along. Yes. So, but it
0: would
2: it would be like a little warning, saying like, "Are you sure you want this?" So, yeah, are you sparkle sure you want to post that? And right. I think we we all need to have the sparkle chat in our brain. Yeah, including adults. And I think when adults, again, if you see something going down that isn't great. Or you have an example, like, again, in my local community, the Facebook page kind of blew up over a couple things, and then I had some in-person conversations that were much more civil. And I was dreading the in-person conversation, you know, at soccer, like, someone came up to me and said, what do you think about this local issue? And it had been quite controversial. I was like, oh, gosh, I have to do this. And then I realized, I have an opportunity here to talk to someone who seems to actually be on a different side of this issue than I might be, but I can actually hear him one to one. We're not having a conversation with a million people chiming in. Mm -hmm. I can just listen to him and let him feel heard. And we don't have to be totally threatened by each other. And so, I think it's really important to talk to kids about the more difficult the issue is, the more likely that face to face is a good way to to go.
1: Um, what? There was another one that I liked. Uh, Stel, S T E L. That's that for was us. funny. That was for that's for, that's for me, right?
2: Yeah, stop texting, enjoy life. That's for parents who need to put down our phones already and like talk to our kids. Kids hate it when we pick them up and we ask them like something about their day and then we're not really listening because we're on our phone and then we ask them the same question. They're oh. so unto us.
1: I feel like it it's it's goes both ways because I was just talking to Anne the other day. Like when I pick the kids up from school in the car, they immediately are on their devices and I I'm, I'm not on a device because I'm driving. Right. And and like that's an opportunity for me to actually talk to them. And like and you, you can have really rich conversations in the car because you're not staring at each other and it doesn't feel like the Spanish Inquisition or anything. And so I'm driving and it's very frustrating. It's like, oh my God, it only takes five minutes to drive home from school. Could you pl- give me five minutes? And then you can be on your devices the whole rest of the night. Well, do I, they need their devices at school? Why do they bring them to school? They bring them so they that they can them. get
0: on the devices as soon as they're... Out of the school doors,
1: it's like they have them at school. They're lo- they're not allowed to have them in class or anything, so they sit in the locker and and such. But they bring them to school, like on the days that I pick them up. Truthfully, they probably don't need them, but they have them for the times that I am not there, and so that they can say, "Hey, I am taking the bus." Or and, and they're what middle schoolers, sorry? middle school, and yeah. yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. And mine are because they're I have to take them to school and pick them up, um, and they have all sorts of activities. They bring this, they bring the devices, so afterward, I know. You know, who's where, when, how, you know, so, but if I am picking them up, same thing, like they're just on their screens immediately, and I feel like an Uber driver.
2: A lot, a lot of us though, I mean, a lot of our parents tolerated greater ambiguity about where we were. Okay. Right. And our parents didn't always know. And so I think a lot of parents get kids phones now because they can't tolerate that ambiguity. Cause we, we are living in a different society and the parental expectations have gone way up on us. If we did the things our parents did, we could get arrested. That's true. But it's also true that I believe that kids can walk home two blocks without a phone. And sometimes parents are like, well, my kids walking home alone now. And I'm like, oh, how far are they walking in Oak Park or Naperville? And they're like, oh, two and a half blocks or five blocks. And I'm like, they probably make it without a phone like you could do that you could let your kid you know walk home on their own but they're digital
1: natives deborah that it's like an appendage to them having that. they might be safer crossing the street without it (laughs) without it
0: right my kids are 1.6 miles away from okay so uh,
1: yeah
2: walk home yeah in chicago (laughs) yeah
0: (laughs) um another article you wrote was really uh informative to me because i'm on instagram but i don't really understand you know we're we're facebook users let's be honest like and that was our original social medium medium um and instagram is totally different and i know my kids check insta very specifically for for likes and then they take down posts and how does the whole system work with Instagram?
2: Instagram's thinking of getting rid of the likes because they're getting some pushback now from the Center from Humane Technology and other people who are saying, you know, that it's hooking us. So the person who invented the like button is now having this sort of mea culpa moment. Not sure if they're giving their stock options to charity or just sort of having a public mea culpa, Mm -hmm. right? Because they did pretty well on the like button, I think. Uh, But, there's, there's a question. I mean, it d- that's the thing we, after you post on Facebook, and same with Instagram, you go back to see who liked it. We all do. And you get the endorphin rush or whatever, right. right? And no if you mean. don't get a lot of likes, you might not take it down, because again, in middle age, we might be a little bit less vulnerable. But if you're 12, and you think, oh, maybe my hair didn't look good in that picture, I'm gonna take it down. Or, you know, or is this person my friend anymore? Because they usually like my photos, but they didn't like this one, right? And there's all this emotional labor around sort of liking everything, and you feel like you have to like stuff, otherwise people will get mad at you, and or feel hurt and but betrayed. There's, there's pressure for you to go
0: on. And this is one of the reasons I think that they go on is because they have to like all their friends' stuff or their friends won't like them.
2: It's it's a little bit of emotional labor. And that, that um, I don't want to generalize too much to gender, but that's more of a girl experience from what I've heard. Uh, again, it's not that boys aren't using social media and it's not that they don't care about likes, but the idea of sort of emotional labor and you must like all your friends' posts is a little bit more in girl world from my research. And I think... Some, some other folks research would also bear that up but t- I mean boys have different pressures on them boys are definitely feeling more appearance pressure at a younger age because of social boys who might not have tuned into their appearance until high school might be more aware of their appearance in middle school and elementary school because of some of these new media so I'm not I mean I am fundamentally an optimist about tech and kids I do think that our kids benefit from these technologies and they're, they're going to be really conversant some of them will you know find a job or meet their spouse on you know online it's going to be great but these are additional stresses and pressures. And I think we as parents do need to guide them through and mentor them and help them deal with it. And again, this is where I feel like monitoring falls short because monitoring is so reactive versus being proactive and talking to them about some things that may happen as they come up, even using TV as a sort of fertile ground for some of the issues that might come up, you know, whether it's in the Marvel universe or on gossip girl or whatever shows they're into. Like, oh, that's an interesting issue. Let's talk about that versus waiting to see it come up in the friend group on text and then bringing it up because then it feels more personal. Sure. Another Instagram rule
0: that you mentioned was the idea of uh, posting too many photos from an event and or posting from fancy vacations.
2: Right. So these were pretty affluent kids from that particular group that I talked to, but they were sensitive about not wanting to sort of flout or flaunt or be, you know, sort of um, be seen as bragging. Bragging, yeah. So I think, and I think that's, there are different sensitivities, right? Like I live in a very mixed income community. Um, this was a very affluent community. I think in, in my mixed income community, there are different sensitivities that come up on social media. So I think we're all kind of aware of who our audience is. And kids are quite sophisticated about that in some ways. Like thinking about not posting 50 photos from the same event is actually kind of a sophisticated kind of restraint. What we don't want to see is the kid who doesn't grasp that silent, unexpressed rule get shunned. So as much as possible, we want to help our kids – be a little flexible with each other, just like we might be flexible with an older relative who just got on Facebook last week and is posting all the time. We might not want to be like, oh, Uncle Bob, you know, <laughs> but just kind of get like everyone's learning. We're all trying to figure this out. Or say somebody posts a picture of your kid and you have a nobody post pictures of my kid without permission. You know, unless it's a really egregious, problematic picture, obviously, then you would talk to them um, or that then you'd be very upset. But, you know, you could just ask them to take it down, but I wouldn't assume that they did it. It intentionally violating your privacy because many people, their norm is to photograph kids when they come over or at the at birthday party or anything else. And maybe that's not your norm. You would ask for permission, but we're all learning this together. And so I think most of the time when someone's doing something differently than you, it's not because they're trying to mess with you. It's, it's just, we're all figuring this out.
0: There is one other Uh, Rule that I wanted to talk about They say you can post A picture of yourself In a bathing suit If you're with family members And it's like a group shot But a bathing suit Solo Is again Kind of braggy Or trying to Draw attention for the wrong reason. This
2: is what the kids were saying? Yeah, and, and I mean, again, that's a very specific group, so I wouldn't generalize that to sort of your own kid, and these are also younger middle schoolers when trying to seem too sexual seem kind of negative, whereas in high school, like, say, juniors or seniors in high school might see being sexy as kind of a body positive, you know, oh, okay. really great thing, but these were seventh grade girls, as I recall, so they were maybe in a different place and a little bit more ambivalent about wanting to be seen that way, so it was like, oh, well, you can post that group shot with your mom and dad on vacation, of course, at the beach, but if you're posting just on your own a selfie in a bathing suit that's a little too much I think we need to push back on girls making those kinds of judgments about other girls I want to be really clear like as a feminist parent whether it was you know my son or I don't have any daughters at home but like you know if, it, if I had a daughter or if I had nieces or nephews I would really push back on making judgments about kids that use you know antiquated ways of thinking about limiting girls and women's sexuality that said there are many reasons why a 12 year old shouldn't post a picture of themselves in a bathing suit but that shaming, I again want to get away from, it's more like, is this a safe picture versus is this, you know, are, are you making yourself, are you getting a bad reputation? Like, I think we want to get away from that and more go to the safety.
1: Sure. Circling back to the mentoring thing, um, for all the parents out there who feel like they just can't keep up with everything and all the apps and social media and everything else, what would be... What would, what would be your advice to them today? What would you say?
2: I would say just focus on the apps your kids are interested in, first of all. So don't worry about every last thing. If your kid is five right now and hasn't started to play Fortnite, that'll probably be like way over or it'll be something different. <laughs> Even Snapchat, Instagram, they're all changing. TikTok is changing. So focus on the, th- the next thing your kid is asking for. Try to understand it. Have them show it to you if you've never heard of it uh, or have another kid in the family, maybe who's older, show it to you. Uh, Don't feel pressure to say yes or no right away. You get some time to look at it. And, you know, if you do say yes and it turns out to be a bad idea, you can also change your mind. Mm -hmm. Ideally, it's easier to say no initially or say, I need some time to look into that. And we'll put yeah. it back
1: in the jar. Yeah,
2: I love I love She's the parent tube. that I quoted in Screenwise in my book. Uh, who's a really wonderful, smart Chicago parent who said to me that she started an Instagram account for the family dog with her daughter, and they did it together for a year before she let her daughter get her own account. So they really worked on it together, and they learned the norms together. And she saw her daughter making good decisions, and then she let her daughter get her own account.
1: Wow, that's, that's really smart. smart. Yeah. <laughs> that- that Please. ship sailed for me. So. <laughs>
2: exactly. Um, we've all,
0: we often say it's like uh, trying to put toothpaste back in the tube. You just can't, you know. So once you've hardened them, yeah, heart well. I but guess. we
2: have to learn to repair and our kids also need to know that they, they are going to make some mistakes. And I think that's the other thing I would say to parents is your kids are going to make mistakes. We're giving powerful global communication tools to middle schoolers with unfinished prefrontal cortexes and hormones. Like, right. of course things are going to go wrong. So you're not a bad parent if things go wrong, but we have to help our kids move through it. We have to not judge their peers so much when they're peers do dumb things cuz your kid may have done the exact same dumb thing and you might just not know. Yeah. It's really important.
0: And we have to let them you know, this is a, a common theme we have to let them fail and fall in front of us when we're when we're with them so that we can help them recover from it, you know, rather than setting them trying to make them mistake free and then setting them off on their own.
2: Exactly. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Devorah Heitner, founder of Raising Digital Natives and author of ScreenWise, helping kids thrive and survive in their digital world. Um, this is fantastic. Um, it's I a dub- could talk
1: about this for a long, long time. <laughs> I
0: know. I know. Um, but we so appreciate your insight. And um, thank you. Thank
1: you. So apparently, we can't control what our kids are exposed to on social media, but we can give them the tools and to help them handle whatever they encounter and mentor them because we have the wisdom, they have the tech savvy.
0: Right. And we can model the behavior we want from them. So, you know, if if we're saying no screens at the dining room table, there should be no screens at the dining room table including mine, right? You know, and we shouldn't be we shouldn't be texting when we ask them about school. We, you know, we should eye contact, right? Right. So, um this is a, a good one to learn, I think. And I'm pretty sure that it's going to be an interesting dinner conversation. Tonight. Yeah. Good luck tonight. Yes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. So we have a request. We have a request for our listeners and their social media. Mm-hmm. Uh, could you please go and rate our um, podcast on iTunes uh, or wherever you get it? Uh, we'd love your feedback. Yep, yeah, and check out our Facebook page. Share
0: our posts if you like them. Um, give us a call at our, our phone number, 331-704-0046.
1: Or you can email us at apparentlypodcast at gmail.com. This is a WGN Plus podcast. I'm Anne Johnsos. And I'm Tracy Weiner. Thanks for listening to Apparently. We make it look easy. We make it look good. When everybody sees it, they stop and take a look.